Welcome everyone to Latin One. My name is Deacon Nathan Allen, and I will be teaching you for this first 13 units of John F. Collins, A Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin. That's our textbook that we'll be using. And uh, we'll be going chapter by chapter through it, uh, and I will be explaining the grammatical bits and uh, giving uh, some examples that we uh, use in English uh, of cognate words, for example, and so forth, trying to explain, perhaps put in clearer words sometimes, what uh, 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 Collins has presented. Um, Latin is a great language. Uh, obviously, it's the foundational language of much of uh, Western Europe, most, there are a great many uh, Romance languages, obviously, are all descendants or daughters of Latin, if you will. But even in a language like English, which is in a Germanic language, many of our words ultimately derive from Latin, either directly, uh, and those will be obvious as we learn our Latin vocabulary, but many of them indirectly by way of French. So, one of the advantages of studying Latin is that you learn English better. Also, Latin is a very rational language, and it helps, I think, put our thoughts in some coherent order if we have a facility in Latin. But our principal reason in having this course and the companion course, Latin II, that's being taught uh, concurrently with this by Dr. James May, is learning Latin as, the, as it is the official language of the Catholic Church. Our liturgy in its official language is in Latin. Many of our hymns and prayers are in Latin. And this learning Latin will help, I think, deepen our understanding of the universality of the church and also uh, deepen our appreciation for the great uh, riches of our liturgy and our, our history and our, and our tradition. So welcome. I hope this is helpful. So let's turn then to our first unit, and we'll begin with pronunciation of ecclesiastical Latin. Now, no, we're talking ecclesiastical Latin because obviously this is St. Agnes Parish in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, so we're principally interested in learning Latin as it exists as a, as a language for use in the church. Now, ecclesiastical Latin is the same language that one would study in school as classical Latin. Um, there's a slight difference perhaps in vocabulary and some words that have taken on a distinctly Christian meaning in ecclesiastical Latin uh, might have had a different meaning uh, for a, uh, a first century pagan Roman. I think an obvious example, we'll come up with this one, one of the earliest words we'll probably learn is sacramentum, right? A sacrament in to, to us. That's where we get our word sacrament. But probably to a first century Roman, it might have had connotations of the oath that a legionnaire takes, you know, when he signs up for military duty. So, you know, the words might have different contexts, different meanings in the, you, as you may have learned them if you've ever studied classical Latin than they have as a specifically Christian meaning. Um, but it's the same language. And when we come to pronunciation of ecclesiastical Latin, there is some difference in the pronunciation. Not all that much, uh, but there are some differences principally in how uh, certain uh, consonants are pronounced and, and uh, in relation to certain vowels and so forth. We'll kind of, I'll talk about those as we come to them. Uh, they're not major differences. I kind of liken it to, you know, the Roman Empire was a big empire and a lot of people all over the Mediterranean were speaking this language and no doubt people from Spain had a different accent from people from Dalmatia and you know and so forth and so uh, I like to joke when I'm talking to friends of mine who learned 
classical Latin. Well, just pretend like I'm an Australian or something. You know, I've got a little different accent, just like we do in English for the English spoken all over the world. Well, very well. We're going to go into now the elements of pronunciation of ecclesiastical Latin. Note that the alphabet that's used in ecclesiastical Latin really is the same alphabet we use, or I should say we use the alphabet they use because it's the Roman alphabet. There are um, some letters that we don't have in Latin that we use in English, particularly K and W, although occasionally they may pop up in loan words in, you know, more recent Latin, especially, uh, you know, if you're if it's a church document that might be naming, making reference to a city that has a particular name. But generally speaking, in our Latin text, we won't come across K and we won't come across W. All right. But the rest of the letters are all there. Um, I, and Collins gives uh, um, both I and J. I think we tend not to see J in more recent ecclesiastical uh, Latin uh, because I stands for both the vowel and the consonant that's pronounced like the English Y. Uh, but you may see it in older texts, so uh, I suppose that's why he's got it there. Well, let's look at vowels. The vowels A, E, I, O, U, and also Y, just as in English. Um, and vowels can be either long or short. Generally speaking, um, there is a little difference in the pronunciation of the vowel, whether it's long or short. Uh, for ecclesiastical purposes, most of the difference especially since a lot of the text will be sung, most of the difference is really going to be in the duration and stress of the vowel. But there is, there is a difference. So uh, Collins gives us, for example, a long A is the A as in the English word father. So we have grazia, papa, a, as the examples he gives. A short A as in carouse. So aqua, ad, ab. Now, you can see that that's very similar-shaped vowel. It's just that it's not stressed and lengthened as, as much. With E, we get a long E is as in they. So we get cena, ecclesia, e. Okay? And the short E as in get. So we get terra, ex, sine, bene. I, the long I, is as in the I in the English word machine. So, doctrina, familia, vita. The short I is as in fit, though as I say, often in, in sung Latin, uh, it's going to sound more like an E, but just shorter in length. So, missa, in, sine, ibi. O, the long O, as in no, gloria, non, hora, pro. Short O, as in soft, again, though very often you're going to get, it's going to be much, it's going to be less of an ah and more of an o kind of sound. So you get kind of doctrina, apostolos, dominus. And U, long U, as in tuba, so natura. Futurus, Judea. There he used a, a in you're looking at your Collins, you'll see he used a capital J, though often in ecclesiastical writings more recently published, you'll see it spelled with a capital I instead. Judea, Judea. Yeah. And then a short U as in put. So culpa, cum, super. And uh, um, as for the letter Y, um, and when it's used as a vowel, it's, it's never used as a consonant. That would be an I or a J um, uh, as the consonant for a Y. It's always from words that are borrowed from Greek. And Latin, especially ecclesiastical Latin, borrows a lot from Greek. But so does classical Latin as well because, um, you know, Greek was the uh, great, you know, language of learning at the time, uh, and uh, and it was the language in which the New Testament was written. 
So for Christians, it was not only the language of philosophy and science, but it was also the language that the apostles and evangelists wrote the New Testament in, whereas for classical uh, uh, pagan Romans, it was that language of philosophy and language of, of, of um you know, the great literature of Homer and so forth. So there are a lot of Greek words in Latin, sort of like how in English we have a lot of French words and a lot of Latin words uh, in English. But Y is just not a normal Latin letter. It comes in from Greek, and it comes in from Greek pronounced like a short I in Latin, but in Greek it would be pronounced like a U because it's upsilon, which, you know, is the in the capital letter, looks like a Y. Um, but we get it in Latin, in a, a lot of those Greek religious words like mysterium and hymnus are the two examples that we're given here. All right. Um, now that's the basic vowels if you see a vowel by itself. Now if you see two vowels together, that's what's called a diphthong, A-E is pronounced like a long E in ecclesiastical Latin. In classical Latin, that you might have learned in school, it would be pronounced like an A and an E together. So it would be Ia or I would, when you put them together, right? But in ecclesiastical Latin, it's a long E. So eternus, seculum, okay? AU is pronounced like au, as in out. So aurum, laudo. OE is also, like A-E, pronounced like a long E in ecclesiastical Latin. Again, in classical Latin, the O and the E would be pronounced as they would normally do, and so it would come together sounding more like oi. But in, uh, in ecclesiastical Latin, it's pronounced like a long E. So, uh, ecumenicus, cepi, okay? And U-I is pronounced like a W-I in English, as in the word dwindle, so... Quick, qui. Okay? So that is the vowels. Now we move on to the consonants. Consonants are going to be very much like what our English consonants are pronounced like with some differences. So uh, a B is always as a, a B in English, except it can sometimes be more like a P if it's in front of, a, of an S or a T. Um, and uh, like, for example, the word for city, which you won't learn yet, but I'll tell it to you. You probably know it already. Um, urbs, U-R-B-S. Well, the B sounds like a P because it's before an S. Anyway, uh, C is always pronounced like a K in classical Latin. And in ecclesiastical Latin, it's pronounced like a K as well in all positions, except when it's before an E or an I or those diphthongs that sound like a long E in, in ecclesiastical Latin, and then it's pronounced like a, C, like a CH in English. So we get cena, circa, celum, cenobium, okay? Uh, D and F are just as in English. Again, we occasionally we get a PH. It's almost always coming, it would be coming from a Greek word, uh, in which case it would be pronounced like an F just like we do in English with PH. G is just like C. Actually, it's the same sound. It's just one is unvoiced and the other is voiced. Um, so it's always the G as in gut. In all positions, again, except before E, I, Y, or I suppose when you get those, or those, those diphthongs that are pronounced like a, like a long E. So we, in which case, in ecclesiastical Latin, it's pronounced like a J. Uh, in classical Latin, it's still pronounced like a G. Um, but uh, so in ecclesiastical Latin, you would get Angelus, Regina, Egyptus, Egyptius, sorry. But to a, a classical, a classicist would have said Angelus, Regina, Egyptus, uh, Egyptius, but you know, that's, uh, that's, so that's the difference uh, there. Uh, same rule as would apply to the C here. H is always aspirated as in hat, although in sung Latin, because it's kind of, the pronunciation is very similar to Italian, 
uh, sometimes it is not pronounced at all. So you might get honor instead of honor. Okay. Um, but it, it, in spoken ecclesiastical Latin, the H is pronounced, is aspirated. So honores, hora. All right. J, again, this is in reality a Y, an I used as a consonant and it's pronounced like a Y. So yam, Jesus, justus. L, M, N, and P are just as in English. Again, except PH, which is an F, just as in English. Q is always followed by, uh, uh, by U, and the, together they're essentially a KW sound, right? Just as in English, so quick. That's that kind of sound. So we get quod antiquus, okay? The R is like an English R, but if you want to do it right, uh, make it just slightly trilled. It's actually not like a really big trill, but uh, kind of a tap R. Um, if you think about it, we, you know, it's a sound that uh, I grew up in Japan and you have that tap R in Japanese. And so it's very easy for me to do it. Um, but uh, a lot of Americans learning Japanese, for example, they just can't get that R sound down. And my, my father, who was a linguist, would always say, well, we have that sound in American English, at least. And they'd look at him blankly and he'd say, um, what's that, that uh, yellow stuff in the dish, you know, you want to spread on your toast? And you say, please pass the butter. The double T in the American standard pronunciation is not butter, it's butter. And that's that that kind of tapped R that only, not really fully trilled like a butter, <laughs> but just a, 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 a quick little tap. And that's kind of the R that we're talking about here in Latin, usually. Although again, in sung Latin, or if you're being really dramatic, you might, you know, really trill it a little bit, but, uh, but generally it's just kind of a, a quick um, uh, tap. Um, the S is unvoiced, as in set and loose. So, ecclesia, misa. Um, oh, and here, by the way, when we double up a, a consonant like that, we see the double S in misa, that means mass. Um, um, just kind of lengthen the S, so it's misa. It's not misa, it's misa, okay? Um, ecclesia. The T, V, and X are as in English, although there is a little difference. You can see in the notes uh, uh, below that in the box, there's, there's something to keep in mind with respect to ecclesiastical Latin that isn't the case in classical Latin. Uh, we'll get to that. And the Z, or as the rest of the world, other than uh, the United States, call a Z, um, is pronounced like a DZ, as in ads. So we get baptizo. Now, this letter is, again, one of those ones that's almost always a Greek loanword. Okay. Again, there are a lot of them in classical Latin, and there are a lot of them even more so in ecclesiastical Latin because the New Testament was written in Greek. All right, here are some notes on pronunciation for uh, ecclesiastical words that are, um, these are difference, differences from those of you who have studied classical pronunciation. The combination GN in classical pronunciation is just pronounced like a GN, gnon, you know, something like that. Where, uh, uh, whereas in ecclesiastical Latin, it's got the kind of NY sound of canyon. So we have agnus, that means lamb or renium, whereas classical pronunciation would be agnus, regnum, okay? And sc, when it's followed by an e or an i again, or one of those long sounds that, that sounds like it, um, is an sh sound in ecclesiastical Latin, whereas in classical Latin, it would just be an sk sound still. So, shelus, shivi, all right? Um, U has a sense, just like in with, with a Q, where, you know, QU is essentially a KW, a GU is essentially a GW. So, sanguis. 
Um, and, uh, uh, and so, for example, or suavis, which means smooth, okay, <laughs> or gentle. <laughs> All right, suave. All right, um, X and Z or Z count as two consonants because they really are. You know, X is basically a KS. And in ecclesiastical pronunciation, the Z or Z is essentially DZ, right? Um, TI, this is an oddity in ecclesiastical pronunciation rather than uh, classical pronunciation. In classical pronunciation, a TI is always going to be T, right? T-I, T. But uh, in ecclesiastical Latin, if it's followed by a vowel, it becomes T, a T-S sound. Except, obviously, when it's preceded by an S sound or a T, you know, so S, T, or X. So, Letizia, Preziosus, Vitium, but not Hostia, it's Hostia, because there's an S there already, okay? PH is like an F, CH and TH are pronounced as in character and time, okay? They aren't pronounced as like a, a CH in English or a TH in English. Okay, they're just pronounced like, just imagine that it doesn't have the H in there. And that can be helpful though, because if you've got a CH followed by an E or an I, it's going to be a K sound. It's not going to be a CH sound, okay? Uh, whereas in ecclesiastical Latin, it would be, right? All right. Um, let's see, doubled consonances are doubly pronounced. You know, I already mentioned that, but they, you know, each one of them has got, has got its particular weight. So, ancil, ancilla, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm overemphasizing that ancilla is, uh, is a, uh, um, a handmaiden. Um, missa, peccatum, sabbatum, comito. No, I'm overemphasizing that. It's not going to come across as that obvious, but give you an idea. When So basically, every vowel is pronounced, and, uh, you know, and, and so that lengthens it out, and every consonant is pronounced in that way, okay? There are no silent consonants in Latin, and there are no silent vowels in Latin, all right? Um, this next thing on syllabification, I'm not sure that that's all that important to go through. Um, uh, take a look at it. Uh, you know, it does, you can, do, you can divide words up, uh, and that will depend on how, where the emphasis is. Um, you know, uh, uh, whether the long vowel is, where the, uh, you know, where there, there's, uh, um, where you have an, a, what's called an enclosed vowel and so forth. All those rules in there can help with, you know, a, a syllable quantity and accent. Often, though, you'll find in ecclesiastical Latin, the accent mark for pronunciation is, is put there for you so that you can, you can uh, pronounce it correctly, put the uh, emphasis right. Um, it may be helpful to read that if you're writing Latin poetry and so forth, but, uh, you know, just for reading ecclesiastical texts and pronouncing them correctly and understanding them, it may not be uh, all that important. Um, and let's see. Uh, now, traditional missiles and breviaries don't use macrons. You know what a macron is? A macron is that long mark over uh, a vowel to indicate that it's a long vowel. That's how they're going to appear in the dictionary. And I would recommend as we go forward and you're learning vocabulary, learn it with the macrons, okay? Because those can be very helpful in getting the accent right, which syllable is stressed. And sometimes the accent can completely change the meaning uh, if you have it in the wrong place. Uh, I like the example of, you know, the the uh, Roman calendar, traditional uh, uh, pagan Roman calendar was based on, you know, AUC, ab urbe condita, 
from when the city was founded. But if you said aburi condita, you would mean from when the city was pickled. And that's a different thing. Now, I, so, I mean, and I say, you know, so as you learn words, you might as well start now learning them with the macrons because it's going to be, it would be so much harder uh, to uh, go back and kind of backfill uh, your knowledge uh, going forward if you didn't. Um, but your uh, ecclesiastical texts are not going to have them in it generally unless they are necessary for showing the meaning of something. And we'll get to that, especially in the, uh, when we get to uh, the first declension uh, nouns. Uh, it, sometimes it can be the macron is important to understand, you know, what am I talking about here? But generally... Um, they they'll be in the dictionaries, but not in your uh, uh, in your texts. But it's still a good idea to learn vocabulary with those marks in it. Okay, it'll be especially you'll thank me for that when we start getting into verbs and you get into the difference between uh, um, second conjugation and third conjugation verbs, for example. So and trust me, uh, important. Just keep them in mind. Whereas, you know, like I say, in ecclesiastical text, you'll see an accent mark just to, for the stress. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's move on then to the next bit, which is an overview of nouns. Okay. Now, what is a noun? A noun is, of course, a person, place, thing, act, or quality, because we have those... those uh, uh, nouns that are that are uh, um, not really a thing because they're not they're abstract, right? But but you know a person, place, or thing. And in both English and Latin, nouns have attributes, and those attributes are gender, number, case, and declension. Although these are much more pronounced in Latin than they are in English. In English, gender we have three genders: we have masculine, feminine. And neuter. Though as a practical matter in English, everything is neuter unless it's alive, and then it's masculine if it's male, and it's feminine if it's female, right? And if I don't know what it is, then it's an it. It's neuter, right? So I have a cat. My cat's name is Dopper, and he is a big, burly, tabby, wonderful cat. All right. He is neutered, but he's not neuter. <laughs> he is a he, because Dopper is a male cat. Um, but if somebody didn't know that, they might say, oh, uh, could you um, uh, see, is the, is the cat, um, uh, where is it? Where is the cat? I can't find it. You know, we would, we would easily in English use the neuter to refer to an animal even though we know that that animal is either masculine or feminine because it's either male or female. You know, or, I mean, we knew this even, I mean, we know biologically, I mean, I'm out, if I were out, you know, in the summer and getting bit by a mosquito and I, and I slap it, I say, I got it. I use a neuter, even though the ones biting me are going to be female. Okay. Um, in Latin, you have that too. Okay, masculine, feminine, and neuter. But you have the added complexity of grammatical gender in that nouns are going to be masculine or feminine even when they obviously don't have, you know, a biological sex. All right. Um, English used to do that. German does, related language. But English has largely lost grammatical gender except in our pronouns, he, she, and it. Um, and it's not clear whether, you know, we talk about a ship being she, but I'm not sure if that's really just an affectation. I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, related to its, you know, a residual, you know, leftover from, from how the language was a thousand years ago. Um, but in Latin, you have grammatical gender, okay? Um, and that's going to be important. Now, a Roman is not going to, they, they would not think of a, um, 
you know, some a noun that's that's masculine, uh, you know, like a, a book is liber, which is you know is a masculine noun. They're not thinking of it as a he in the same way that they think of Marcus or you know Julius as a he. Um, but uh, but it's going to affect how the 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 language uses the word. Okay, so keep that in mind. If you've learned any, if you've ever studied uh, uh, um, another Romance language like French or Spanish or Italian or anything like that, they have gender too. Although most Romance lang modern Romance languages uh, only have two genders, masculine and feminine. Um, and the the neuter from Latin tends to collapse into the masculine uh, as the words come down from the, the languages. But anyway, so we don't have grammatical gender in English except kind of residually in our pronouns, but Latin, it's a major feature, okay? So that's gender. Number. Number is either singular or plural, just as in English, right? Um, and, uh, and, uh, and just as in English, you know, we, it changes the spelling of our words, although some words, uh, you know, will have, a, will have the same form, like, you know, deer, the animal with the antlers, you know, um, in English. Uh, so, uh, 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 but, but Latin, difference between, mass, between uh, singular and plural. And then we come to case. Now, in English, case is almost completely gone. We have two cases in our nouns generally. We have the genitive or possessive case and then everything else. In our pronouns, we have a little bit more than that. We have the subjective or nominative case and we have the possessive or genitive case and then we've got the objective case. Uh, in our pronouns. So we know that there's a difference between the use of the first person pronoun if I say, I threw the ball. Uh, the, the ball is mine, or it is my ball, uh, or um, throw me the ball, right? I've used the first person pronoun in three different cases in those uh, examples. Latin has more cases than English does. Okay. Um, so, uh, um, and we're going to go through that as we learn them in, as we learn our Latin nouns. We have more cases. And just as in English, often we will get a, you know, out of some of our, our objective case, we'll get out of uh, 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 our meaning mostly from uh, from the prepositions that we attach to it. In Latin, the preposition is often built right into the noun. You can still use a preposition uh, if you need to for clarity or emphasis, but often it's built right into the noun because it depends on which case it's in. Okay? Um, but we'll get to that as we proceed. Just, it's a, it's a complication to keep in mind. Um, and so, you know, what happens with you know, English, English is an old language, goes back, you know, uh, a thousand years ago would have been something we would not have, have, have understood today, a very much more German sounding language, uh, Anglo-Saxon. Uh, and, and we had five cases back then. Today, we just have these three and they really only exist in our pronouns. We have two basically with our nouns. Latin conversely has a much fuller system I used to have, you know, in pre-Latin, would have had eight. Uh, they've generally collapsed in Latin down to uh, officially seven, though most, so a couple of those only exist in certain uh, rare combinations. Um, uh, but there are, so there are basically, there are five that really exist with every noun. You've got the nominative, which is the uh, the subject of the sentence, the genitive, which is the possessive generally. Um, uh, you might imagine, just as in English, we will put a preposition to explain things. You might think of the preposition of in front of something. 
So my ball is the ball of me, right? Um, and then there's the dative, which is the indirect object in English. So you might imagine the prepositions two or four in front of it. And then the accusative, j'accuse, I accuse you. No, um, the accusative uh, is the direct object of the verb. So in an English sentence, I threw the ball, I am nominative. I, the word I is nominative. Uh, and ball is accusative, okay? Because I was the one doing the action and the ball was the thing the action was done to, okay? And then there's the ablative. And the ablative is probably the most common uh, form of the noun, uh, other than when it's, you know, the, the subject of a sentence. And in fact, in modern Romance languages, and it's especially obvious in, a, in, the, in Italian, which is really just modern Latin, um, if you don't know an Italian word, you can almost take it in Latin and put it in the ablative and slur your speech a little bit, and you're pretty close. Um, <laughs> uh, but ablative is, uh, if, you, if it's by itself, uh, it will, you can imagine the prepositions by, with, or from in front of it. Um, and those are the, those are the five uh, uh, cases that come up with every single uh, noun. There are a couple of minor ones that survive from those pre-Latin days, the vocative and the locative. We're not in this Latin one going to get to the locative, okay? That's like a location and it pretty much only exists in written documents that are dated from a particular city. Like for example, if I'm looking at my, my ordination certificate that was signed you know, the, uh, back when, when I was ordained 20 years ago, uh, it is dated from St. Paul. But the dative or the, the locative form of uh, St. Paul is used rather than, you know, from you'd think it would be the ablative. But anyway, um, apart from that kind of document, don't worry about the locative. We're not going to deal with it uh, in this Latin one course. Vocative is going to come up. Vocative is the, you know, if you're talking to someone, you're calling out, you're addressing someone. Okay. Imagine in English, think of kind of like really stylized, uh, um, you know, older English. Imagine the word O oh in front of it. Oh, Mark, you know, <laughs> oh, John, I come, I talk, you know, I'm talking to you. That would be putting it in, in, in the uh, vocative. Now, the vocative really only survives by itself. Uh, in the masculine second declension, um, uh, um, generally it's going to be identical to the uh, to the nominative, but just to keep it in mind um, uh, that there is that vocative that 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 comes up. The lock the locative you you don't really have to worry about. Okay, so we've talked about what the nominative case is. We've talked about what the genitive case is, um, the dative case, the accusative case, the ablative case, and the two minor cases. All right. And then we get to declensions of nouns. Latin has five basic declensions. In this course, we're really only going to be looking at the first two of them, though I think occasionally we may get some words, uh, as I think vocabulary-wise, uh, that cover some of the other declensions. Um, uh, declensions, we call them that because basically the any word within that declension, any noun within that declension, generally follows the same rule in determining what the endings are going to be for each case. So um, if you know the pattern, you can figure out uh, what uh, case the noun is in, and so you can figure out where it fits in the sentence, okay? 
English has some, I suppose you could talk about us having some declensions too. Like, for example, words that end in O might be treated a little differently than words that don't end in O in their plural form. For example, if you come across the word tomato without an O, but the plural form tomatoes has an ES instead of just an S, okay? Um, or some uh, words that have a, uh, uh, a different genitive or possessive form. So um, uh, uh, it, it might come up. Or some that have a different plural, like, um, you know, we might say that brother and brothers follows the same uh, declension, but an older form, brethren, brother and brethren, follows the same declension as child, children, you know? Okay, all right. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I talk about declensions. We, it, it, it's going to be a major feature of Latin grammar that you may think, gosh, this is an incredible complication, but you know what? We've got it in English too. It just, because we know English, we don't notice it as much, okay? Um, all right, so, wonderful. Now we've been introduced to the big, uh, you know, these, these major things in nouns. They're gender, number, case, uh, and, then, and then also their declensions. All right, so we're going to move on to, uh, you're going to start learning some vocabulary. The first declension nouns. First declension nouns, here, here's a hint. And this is going to be very important, okay? So pay attention. In your dictionary, and the dictionary form of a noun, it'll always give the nominative singular, how the word would be if the singular subject of a sentence, right? And then it's going to give the genitive singular, the possessive case, singular. Why does it do that? because that genitive singular is going to be your cue to which uh, declension you're in, okay? Um, and sometimes it'll just be with, you know, a dash and then the last two letters or so of, you know, or last letter or two of, of the genitive just because it's going to be very regular and you'll have no problem figuring it out. Uh, if it's going to be a little more complicated than that, they might write out the entire uh, form of the genitive. But, but anyway, that's going to be the key thing for nouns in a dictionary and adjectives as well. The, it'll be the nominative singular followed by either the completely written out or a you know, short form of the genitive singular. And if you know that, you've got it cold. So key thing to remember when you're learning vocabulary Always memorize them by those two things so that you know what declension you're in because then you're able to put it together. You may not be able to tell, especially as we get into the third, fourth, and fifth declensions, um, which declension you're in uh, just by knowing the nominative. Okay, the first and seconds are pretty clear, but, but those others maybe not so much. So uh, get in the habit early of learning the genitive form. Okay. And um, many of the, well, let's see, especially uh, the first and the second, uh, the fourth and the fifth uh, uh, declensions, generally most words will be of a particular gender for that, but not always. And so those that aren't, uh, they'll usually be marked in your dictionary as being something different than what the, the usual is. And a lot of dictionaries will actually give the gender irrespective of whether it should be obvious, okay? So, um, let's, uh, let's look at what the first declension uh, has uh, to show us. Nouns in the first declension will always end the genitive singular with AE. Okay, so you can look at, and we've got on page seven, 
We have the nominative will end in a, although some of them, especially of their Greek names coming into Latin, will the nominative form will be as. But let's not worry about that quite yet. <laughs> okay. So generally, for your ordinary noun, the nominative is going to end in a, genitive ae, dative ae, accusative am, and ablative a, but notice the macron over the a because that long a makes it different from the short a of the nominative. Okay? And in the plural, it's ae and then a long a long a r u m arum and then is os is for the ablative okay so make you know make note of that get that down so that once you've got these endings and the endings can't be guessed so you just have to memorize them okay but once you've got those cold then you know it all right so We'll take an example, and here is your first word of vocabulary. Learn it, yay, hurrah. This is the noun vita. Vita is the nominative form. Vite is the genitive. So notice how we have that written out. Vita, vite. The F means it's feminine, and it means life. So obviously it's base, whack the A, off of vita, or the ae off of vitae, and you get vit, and then just add the ending that we covered uh, before. So the nominative, vita, life, the genitive, vitae, of life, the dative, vitae, for or to life, the accusative, vitam, life, but that's the direct object, um, and the ablative, vita, with the macron over the A, is from, with, in, by, you know, all those other prepositions, okay? And the plurals are vitae, lives, vitarum, of lives, vitis, for or to lives, vitas, lives, again in the accusative, that means it's the... Uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, the direct object and vitis for with in by lives okay and this is the paradigm for all first declension nouns okay um, now one thing I should say about the first declension is most first declension nouns are going to be feminine okay and vita certainly is. So a lot of times, depending on your dictionary, they may save space and they may not say that it's feminine. You can assume if it's a first declension noun, it's feminine, unless it says otherwise. Why would it be different? Um, well, clearly, uh, a noun would be a different gender if it was a person and that person was a guy, <laughs> okay? So, if we took a name like, let's say, Attila the Hun, okay, Attila ends in A, it would probably be, uh, well, it would actually be uh, declined in the first declension by a, a Roman. But Attila is a guy, and so that's going to be a masculine noun, even though it would be declined exactly according to the pattern we just went through, Okay. Don't know if there are any neuter first declension nouns. None of them occur to me, but I mean, there are a number of masculine first declension nouns. So a person's name, that would be obvious. Another would be like an occupation that is generally associated with men in the Roman world. So... Um, uh, uh, and we will get to some of them. I'm not sure if they're in, I have to look ahead to see if they're in our vocabulary for this week. Um, but uh, um, uh, I don't see any of them. Um, but uh, uh, like, for example, the word for sailor is nauta. Word for poet, poeta. Uh, you know, the word for a farmer, agricola. Those are all first declension nouns 
um, because in the Roman world, those would have been occupations that men would have done generally. And consequently, even though their first declension in, you know, for how they're, they're treated, uh, they um, are, uh, they're masculine in gender. Okay, but for this purpose, for most purposes, most first declension nouns are going to be feminine. All right. So, um, little, uh, that's, uh, you know, the first declension. And a, a brief overview of prepositions. We have a lot of prepositions in English. In Latin, as I said, often the preposition doesn't need to be expressed because it's already in the noun by the case that the noun is using. When you do put the preposition in, uh, then uh, that's done often for emphasis or clarity, okay? And prepositions usually take a particular case. Um, and that's usually fairly obvious by how it's used, uh, but uh, uh, um, uh, not always. So a preposition will take a certain case. Most of them take ablative, but others, some take the accusative case. Uh, generally, those that take the accusative case have to do with directional stuff. You're actually moving in a particular direction. So the example that our book gives is the preposition odd plus the accusative means to or toward or for the purpose of. Okay. Can also mean at, right? Um, those that are governing the ablative case, these are, these are probably much more, more common. Um, there's also an ablative of accompaniment, is what uh, Collins calls it. The prepositions like cum, which means with, and sine, without. Um, these govern the ablative case of most personal nouns. Uh, so if you take another word you're going to learn, another vocabulary word, familia, familiae, feminine, family. Cum familia, notice the long A with the macron, with the family. Sine familia, without the family. Notice we have the or a. Latin doesn't have a definitive article. It doesn't have an article the. There are ways to get there, um, uh, but they, they don't have that uh, um, generally speaking. So a noun by itself could either be a something indefinite or it could be the something definite. So it could be a family or the family, if you simply say familia. All right. Um, you could specify that family, you know, but we'll get to that's down the road for us. All right. So, um, well, now let's kind of run through your vocabulary, and then I'll give you your homework assignment for this week. All right. So, uh, some of these words are going to be really obvious, uh, uh, you know, cognates in English, right? So, aqua, aqua is water. Cena, cene is supper or dinner. Culpa, culpe, blame or fault, can also mean crime. Doctrina, doctrine, teaching or doctrine, can give us a good Christian word meaning for it. Ecclesia, ecclesiae church or assembly, familia, familiae, gloria, gloriae. Okay, these are all pretty uh, straightforward. Grazia, grazie. This is grace, favor, uh, credit. Although here's a, 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 a word function of here. Whenever it's in the plural, it can, I mean, it can be used in the plural to mean thanks. And, you know, obvious derivatives, right? Think about how do you say thank you in Spanish? You say gracias. Okay. I have a friend of mine who's from, from actually from Spain. So he always pronounces that C in the middle as a TH. Uh, you are, are American Spanish uh, or a New World Spanish would say gracias, right? Um, and that's the same word in Latin. Gracias. In Italian, you say grazie. Okay. Um, hora, hore. Misa, mise, uh, 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 so hour, and then as in like an hour of the day, and misa, mass. Um, natura, nature, nature, 
papa, pape. Here's another one. This is a masculine one, okay? Notice papa ends in an A. It's a first declension noun. But because the Pope's always a guy, um, it's masculine, okay? Terra, terre, land or earth or ground. It has all those meanings. Vita, vitae, we already covered that. That's life. That's life. That's what they say. All right. Um, and then we move on to some prepositions. So, ah, which is actually uh, a shortened form of ab or ops. Uh, so, ab or ops would be used before a word that begins with a vowel, but ah would be used before a verb that begins, or a, I'm sorry, a noun that begins with a vowel. Uh, ah would be used before a noun that begins with a consonant. And it's a preposition plus the ablative. It means from or away from. Odd is a preposition that always takes the accusative, and that's to or toward, or for the purpose of or at. Coram, again, takes the ablative, and that is in the presence of. Cum takes the ablative, and that means with. De takes the ablative, and that means from or down from about or concerning and actually in a lot of of our uh, um, romance languages uh, that that word is uh, is unchanged right it means of in in uh, french and in italian and spanish eh or again if it's before a word that begins with a vowel x um is uh, takes the preposition plus the ablative is from or out of et this means and but it can also mean even or also, okay, et. Um, and then if you put it together with two things, so you say et something, et something. So if I say um, et natura et vita, I mean both nature and life, okay? Um, in is one of those prepositions that can take two different forms okay if it's with the accusative remember accusative has the sense of motion towards something sometimes with these a lot of these prepositions so if we take in with the accusative we have the sense of into onto okay motion towards something against for the purpose of but if it's with the ablative it just simply has a sense of in or on so if i'd say i'm i want to go into the church, in ecclesiam, I put it in the accusative. But if I'm saying, oh, he's, he's in the church, it'd be in ecclesia, right? Just in using the ablative. All right, pro always takes the ablative, and that means in front of, but it can also mean on behalf of, for, instead of. I mean, we use that in English, too. You know, if we talk about something being, you know, uh, uh, pro or con, or, you know, for or against, right? Um, and then there's this this interesting thing called que, which you see has got it, it's added to the end of a word. This is another way of saying and. There are a number of ways in Latin of saying and, and this is one of them. Where do we find that in our Christian liturgy? We see it uh, in the Creed, where we talk about filioque and the Son. Okay, but we haven't learned filio yet, so never mind. We'll get to that. Sine means without, and that always takes the ablative. And super is another one just like in. If it takes the accusative, it has a sense of location, so above, upon, over. Whereas if it takes the ablative, it has a sense of about or concerning. Okay. Um, a lot of these words, these nouns, are derived from other words. And so next time when you're taking Dr. May's advanced class and you get to the word doceo to teach, uh, uh, you'll see, oh, that's where doctrina comes from. Um, and ecclesia, a church or assembly, is actually borrowed from the Greek, as again, so many of these words are. Uh, and it can be used either of the people, you know, the Church of God, the, uh, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, or it can refer to the building itself, okay? Um, and uh, uh, 
Gloria, glory can carry with it also some attendant ideas, praise, honor, thanksgiving, splendor, magnificence, all those senses can come along with it. Okay, um, there are some other notes to look at here. Uh, we've talked about them. All right, some derivatives, just to give you an idea um, that we use a lot of Latin words just straight up in English, and we also use a lot of Latin words uh, that have maybe laundered through English by way of French or whatever. You know, obviously, uh, aqua. I mean, if you know Spanish, you can think, oh, I know that word, agua, right? Um, but we have in English, we have words like aquatic, aquarium, right? Culpa. We use the word culpable you know, exculpate, where somebody is, you know, shown not to be at fault, they've been exculpated, the culprit, right? So we use that word. Ecclesia obviously comes in like ecclesiastical, ecclesiology, ecclesiastical Latin, um, right? Familia, family is one word, but then also familiar, right? Misa, mass, but also missile as in the altar missile, not the thing that we don't want to shoot at our enemies. Um, <laughs> and then uh, gratia, we have, in English, we have grace, gracious, gratitude. If something is gratis, that is with grace, right? Notice, with, with, with thanks. Um, papa, well, actually, we do have that word, papa. Uh, my daughter calls me papa. Um, but we have, in the specific sense of meaning the Pope, we have papal, papist, all right? Um, and uh, terra, obviously, in English, we have, you know, uh, words like uh, um, terrace, inter, so if you're putting somebody in the ground, right, it's they're in the ground, they're burying them, inter them in the tomb. And terrier, why do we call a dog a terrier? Because it's a terror? No, because it digs up critters, you know, and, and goes after, you know, destroying to rodents in their dens. That's why it's called a terrier. All right. Vita, right? We use, you know, vitamin, uh, vital, vital signs and so forth, right, for life. Uh, ah, ab, abs, we have that, we attach that to a lot of words like, you know, avert, abrupt, abs, abstain. Uh, and similarly with odd, uh, admit. Now, here's something that's going to come up later in, as we get going in the class. A lot of prepositions are going to modify verbs. Verbs are going to have, you know, have the basic verb and they can have slightly different shades of meaning depending on all these prepositions that can be attached to them. Unlike uh, English, we don't do that too often, but in Latin, gosh, verbs just suck up prepositions. Um, but so we see them in English words like, you know, abstain, you know, where we've, we've picked up uh, uh, um, the word from the Latin that had, had the preposition attached to it. Um, all right. Um, and uh, yeah, so some of these others you see, you know, we that we use in English all the, all the time are connected to uh, uh, English. Um, uh, uh, these prepositions. Very good. All right. Well, gosh, this has been a long lesson. Um, for your homework, we are on the drills in, uh, um, uh, on pages, uh, uh, 11 and 12. So, uh, right there, the first one, the pronunciation exercise I'm going to do for you, and then you can practice it because this one is really important. You know this one thoroughly. If you go to a Latin Mass, you will hear it all the time. If you don't, you say it in English all the time. And here we go. And it's a good way for us to end with a prayer. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amal. That is the Our Father in Latin, if you didn't know. 
Um, and uh, now there are a lot of nouns in there that you haven't learned yet, a lot of verbs, a lot of stuff, but uh, that's a good prayer to learn, practice that, uh, and just to get your, wrap your mouth around the sounds of, of Latin. Um, the rest of the homework, you know, is you go through your, your words uh, there and kind of, and you know, uh, follow the instructions. And uh, if you have any questions for me on this first uh, chapter, um, uh, please email them to me. My email address uh, is a-l-l-e-n-n -N at a-r-c-h-s-p-m dot org. Okay. How you can remember that is my name is Nathan Allen. So it's Allen N, all one word, at, and then I work at the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. So archspm.org. All right. Very good. I will talk to you uh, next week as we proceed with unit two. But before then, if you can get your uh, any questions that you may have into me uh, earlier in the week would be best uh, because I, my intention is to uh, record uh, a, uh, a second podcast for this chapter specifically on the exercises uh, and answering any specific specific questions that you might have had and so that that can be uh, uh, dropped before uh, we proceed to the next chapter. Um, so if you can get them in to me by Wednesday of each week, that would be ideal. All right. Thank you very much. God bless you. Talk to you next time.